want to echo what uh, Sean mentioned to you about World Communion Sunday, where like every other Sunday, although we recognize this, you celebrate it with brothers and sisters around the globe, those who don't look like you or sound like you in any way, shape, form, or fashion. But there is a unity in the body of Jesus Christ, a unity with all of us together that we remember on this particular Sunday. I don't know how many of you know, but this uh, World Communion Sunday was started in 1933 in the throes of the Depression by a Presbyterian church. There was a great deal of hopelessness and need and concern during those times. And it was felt that in this particular church, they needed to remember that we were all part of one body, the body of Jesus Christ, the Christ that can do anything and everything. And out of that little spark started this World Communion Sunday. I dare say that as we read the newspaper or look on the television today, we are still fraught with a degree of hopelessness and concern and trepidation when we see what goes on around the world. But this is a Sunday where we should be staying united as the body of Jesus Christ, remembering that we are communing in the one that we have lifted up as Lord and as Savior. We can do a lot more together than we can ever do separately. So when you come today and partake in this sacrament of Holy Communion, remember you are not doing it alone. You are not just simply doing it with your brothers and sisters here at Centenary. You're doing it with your brothers and sisters around the globe, all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. I'd like to read today from the Gospel of John, a story with which I am sure most of you are very, very familiar. I start there in the sixth chapter at the first verse, and would you please stand as we read together here from the Gospel. This is what John writes. After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a large crowd of people coming to look for him. And turning to Philip, he asked, Where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, Even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them among the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, Now, gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled twelve baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, Surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. And when Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. God's blessing upon the reading of his word. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated.
Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, fill us with your Holy Spirit this day. Help us discern from this, the Scripture, how we to apply this lesson to our daily lives. Help us to understand what Jesus is teaching, not only the disciples, but indeed he is teaching us. Father, give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts with which to feel. And I would ask, Father, that I disappear into the shadows of the cross, that it is you that speaks, and that we listen as one body, believers in the Christ, in whose precious name we lift up this prayer. Amen. I need to let you know that I am a charter member of the Watch Your Husband Closely at the grocery store. Charter member. Laurie has often asked me to stop by the store and pick up a couple of items for dinner. And I have found that Kroger is just like Lowe's or Home Depot. You're never really sure what you need until you get there, but there's always something that you could use and that you end up buying. Several times, or one time in particular, she asked me to stop by Kroger, and I think I was supposed to just pick up bread and milk and water. But when I go into Kroger, yeah, I kind of start at one end and work all the way through. Because, you know, there's never no telling what you're going to find in those aisles in between. Maybe some good deals. So I picked up the gallon of milk, 1% milk, out of the dairy section, and I'm Moving on down the back aisle there, and lo and behold, I come up to the cookie section. And I'm thinking, you know, Oreos would really taste good with this milk. And sure enough, I go up, and lo and behold, they're having a sale. I can get two packages of double stuff for the price of one. And so I pick them up. Did you know that on the same aisle with the cookies are the barbecue chips? If you go up just a little further, you can get to the barbecue chips. What a wonderful world in which we live. Cookies and barbecue chips on the same exact aisle. It's fantastic. And at this point, I literally had to double back to get to the bread. And I went by those big freezers. And they had a sale on Breyer's ice cream. Why, I could get a gallon of cookies and cream for Laurie. She likes that. And I could get a gallon of the Moose Tracks Fudge Ripple which is fantastic. I finally made my way to the bread, though. Really did. And I was concerned that we probably wouldn't have enough bread. You know, we would just run out of it real quick. There'd be an earthquake or a rainstorm or a snowstorm, and we'd just run out of bread. So I thought maybe we should buy a little extra. I got Wonder Bread. That's the kind my mom used to use when she made peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I got 100% whole wheat. I got some genuine potato bread. You can't do without potato bread. Then I got the 27 multi-grain bread. That's good for you, of course. And I knew that when I got to the cash register, I had to dairy again so I could pick up Philadelphia cream cheese, which made picking up Linder's Everything Bagels absolutely relevant. And this, just to be healthy, I picked up a package of 100% whole wheat Thomas muffins. That's so I could have a wholesome breakfast. So I went and bought all those and went home. And needless to say, I was read the riot act for buying all the food, probably about seven-eighths of which I did not need in any way, shape, or form. And now I have been restricted of going to the grocery store at all. I cannot go by myself, and if Laurie needs something, I have to sit in the car while she goes in and gets it. 
I love you, sweetheart. How much do we know about bread? How much do we really know about bread? We know we like to eat it. We like to have butter on it or jelly or peanut butter. It's good. But you know, the substance of bread itself, how it's made, has been essentially the same for thousands upon thousands of years. The bread that we will share today is essentially the same type of bread that Jesus had. It's made the same way. It's made with flour and yeast and water. And you can add some things to it. You can add some salt and sugar and different seasonings to give it a different flavor or texture. But the ingredients have remained the same for over a thousand years. And for most of us, bread is a side dish. It's the thing that we put on the side and we put a little butter on it, a side roll, or maybe it's something we put ham and cheese on to make a sandwich. Or if you go to Cheddar's later on, it's those croissants with the hot butter that just drips off that you get before you get to your main course. And I know some of you are already looking at your watches saying, how long till noon? It's a side dish for us, but that's not true for most of the rest of the world. Most of the world, bread is very much a big deal, an essential deal. In places throughout the world, it is the main dish. And there is time set aside every day either to prepare it or to buy it because so, so important is bread for those meals. Did you know that it is possible to live indefinitely on bread and water? Well, until you die. But indefinitely, you can live on bread and water. It has enough essential nutrients that it will keep you physically alive. You might say that bread is a kind of a wonder in and of itself because the word evokes emotions in us. It evokes support and fellowship and, and security. It even evokes the presence of God as we partake in Holy Communion this day. And the root of the word in most languages is translated as food, just as it is in the Bible. For the chosen people, bread was the symbol of the Torah, the law of God. It represented the covenant that existed between God and his people. But in today's story, we look at it from a slightly different perspective. There is a deeper hunger that exists in all of us that still must be met and must be satisfied that bread cannot touch. There is bread, the small bee, and bread, the large bee, and the tension that exists between them is the bread that we partake in to lift ourselves up physically, but the bread we so desperately need to live the spiritual lives that we are intended from God, that are intended from God. And there's a couple lessons I want you to take away from this text before we have the sacrament of Holy Communion. The first thing I want you to understand is that we have very little to give to Jesus. We give him our hunger, and we give him some very inadequate resources. John's account of this story strongly puts that in meaning because Jesus tests Philip, where are we going to buy bread for all these people to eat? John writes, he says, this was a test for him, for he himself, Christ, already knew what he was going to do, but he wanted to make Philip start thinking about how are we going to feed these people? How are we going to feed the multitudes? There was a huge, hungry crowd, and they desperately needed food. And then when Andrew found the small boy, 
the small boy who had the five barley loaves and two fish that were probably more like sardines than actual fish. He was struck by the fact that, well, here's some food. But how are we going to feed these masses with so little food? I think one of the reasons that we pray the Lord's Prayer like we prayed today and we ask that God will provide us our daily bread is to remind us that we do indeed depend on God. Now, I know we don't always think that way. We always think Kroger's going to be open. There's always going to be bread on the shelves. Wonder Bread, Jewish Rye, 27 Multigrains, Thomas English Muffins. And all it does is take one or two catastrophes or a financial problem, we lose our job, or some financial emergency in our life, or some unforeseen crisis that befalls us. And suddenly we realize that we are not really in control. That maybe we cannot afford the bread, and maybe the bread is not even there. I want you to think, I want you to think this moment, this moment, how important water and bread is on the island of Puerto Rico this day. We have it. And I can assure you there are thousands upon thousands down there that do not have those simple statements, staples. Second thing I want to tell you is that Jesus always takes inadequate resources and gives us everything we need, everything we need, if we will but trust in him. That's all we have to offer him. But for Jesus Christ, that is more than enough He takes it and he can multiply it again and again and again. The disciples wanted to solve this problem by leaving. They wanted to leave all these hungry people on the grassy slopes. They didn't want to be bothered with this. They wanted to break from all this stuff. And Jesus is asking them, no, I want you to look at them. I want you to see their need through my eyes. And then I want you to address that need. I want you to know how needy they are. And then I want you to do something about it. Christ was concerned for them. And he looks to us to fulfill that need. When Philip came back with that 200 denarii, which today accounts to about $20,000, Jesus didn't say, well, that's not quite enough. Go out and take another collection. Maybe we can raise some more money. And when Andrew apologized for the scarcity in the young boy's lunch pail, Jesus didn't say, well, I bet there's more food out there. Go and uh, rattle their chains and see if they're going to share some of their food. Jesus didn't say anything like that. Jesus is not limited. He's not limited by a meager lunch. He's not limited by money. And he's not limited today. You know, sometimes we moan and groan and complain that we don't have enough time. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough talent to spread the gospel. And that's wrong. Because if we use our time, our talent, and our treasures in and through Jesus Christ, that's more than enough. Because he can take whatever is inadequate in our resources and expound it again and again and again and again. But we've got to believe that he can do that. And then we have to give him what he so desperately needs. This isn't just a story about feeding hungry stomachs. It's a story about feeding us from the inside out. It's about our spiritual satisfaction. It's about living on the bread of life. Because later on in this chapter, further down in chapter 6, Jesus says these words, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. Jesus Christ is all sufficient for our needs and the needs of all people if we will but simply believe. 
And the third thing that comes from this story is that when Jesus blesses us, he blesses us with the promise that someday we will all feast at his heavenly table. We will all come together, the body of Christ around this globe, and we will feast at that massive table. There will be no beginning and no end, and we will have more than enough. The people knew that there was something special about Jesus. They knew perhaps that he was the answer to the prophets, but they were expecting a military leader. They were expecting a king, an earthly king. And Jesus was none of those things. Jesus was Messiah, but he wasn't going to fulfill them the way they wanted to be fulfilled. He was going to fulfill exactly what they needed and then promised that someday in his father's house would be a lavish banquet table set out for all who believe in him. Do you know the early church used this story out of the Gospel of John, this feeding of the 5,000, as part of their holy communion? They wrote these words in the liturgy as a thanksgiving prayer. Even as this broken bread was scattered over the hills and was gathered together and became one, so let the church be gathered together from the ends of the earth into thy kingdom, Lord. For thine is the glory and the power in Jesus Christ forever. When we come to the Lord's table, as we are about to do, we are not simply remembering what Jesus has done for us. We are living into the promise of what he is yet to do for us. We are anticipating the coming of Christ's kingdom, that great feast that will be spread out for all people, but only through and in Jesus Christ. Every time we gather as a congregation and eat, every time you go home and break bread with your family, every time you serve the needy in some way, shape, form, or fashion, you're doing the same miracle that Jesus did on those grassy slopes. You are breaking bread, and you are passing out living bread. And when we do that, we're painting a picture for the world, a picture of God as our Redeemer, a picture of God as our provider on this earthly journey until he welcomes us all home. Now, if you have never tasted the bread of Jesus Christ, that's what you need today. You don't need to ask him for a job or a spouse or a healing. You need to ask him for that bread of life. You need to taste of that bread before you do anything else because you need the eternal life that only comes in Christ. And if you have already tasted the bread of Jesus Christ, then he needs you to share that same bread with brothers and sisters around the world. He needs you to fulfill the needs. He needs you to be his hands and his feet. He needs to offer up what you have because it's not just about the bread that you get. It's about the bread that you share. The Lord wants to use you. He wants to use you as the bread of life to others. Do you know how many ministries we have in this church? Do you know how many places we have to serve in this church and affect this community? Every last one of us should be serving in some way, shape, or form. Every last one of us should be giving that living bread because it's not for you alone. It's for everybody to share. And all of us should be serving in some way so that we might share that bread of life. There is no excuse for any of us 
not to become engaged in his church and not to share the bread that this world so desperately needs. There's a little quote that says, No bread, no life. No bread, no life. It's been changed a little. No Jesus, no life. No Jesus, no life. Now, I'm fully aware of the fact that you can live this life without bread. But without Jesus Christ, you can never really live the full life that God intended for you. You might be fine physically, but spiritually you are dead. Unless you take on the water, unless you take on the bread. Unless you have Jesus Christ as a part of you from the inside out, you are as dead as a doornail. If you have that, don't keep it to yourself. Share it with others. He is is the only water that truly quenches our thirst. His is the only bread that truly nourishes us. The only question you have to answer is how hungry, how thirsty are you? Would you bow your heads with me, please?